Dr. Livingston, I presume. Today we're telling the story of the man who found Livingstone at his darkest moment and gave him the friendship he needed to continue his ministry. Welcome back to the Church History Podcast. I'm your host, Loralee Siemens. So before we dive into our new episode, let me tell you a little bit about what I've been up to. First, I've been so blessed to be busy with so many new clients, and I'm honored to be part of so many podcasts. I love helping other podcasters launch their shows, and I spend most of my day editing podcasts, writing show notes, and transcribing podcasts, and making social media for podcasts. Unfortunately, that doesn't always leave me a lot of time to work on my podcast and do the research I needed or finish the book that I'm writing. Still, I'm grateful for the work and I love doing it. But the other thing in my life is that my husband started a coffee roasting business. This is something we've been saving our money for and working towards for over a year. And the business has officially launched. It's called Alexandra Henry's Coffee. We micro-roast each bag of coffee only after it's been ordered. So our coffee is the freshest coffee you can drink. And for you, my listeners, we want to give you a very special gift. Now, unfortunately, we currently only ship to Canada. So for now, this is going to be for my Canadian listeners only. I'm going to have a link to the coffee shop in the show notes. If you order coffee and use the discount code CHURCHHISTORY, all lowercase, no space, you will receive 20% off. Once we have American shipping, we'll have another code for our American listeners. All right, let's dive into our story. We left off last time with David Livingstone in a tent willing to die. He was tired in pain because his medicine was gone. He was sick and asking God to just take him home. And then in walked a man with medicine, letters from his family, and encouragement. And today we're telling the story of that man. In the year 1841, in the cold of January, a baby was born. But no one was rejoicing in the birth of baby John. His father was not present and would never meet the baby or even admit he was the father. His mother was embarrassed by her illegitimate child. She left John with her father as soon as she was no longer needed to feed the baby. And baby John spent the first few years of his life with his grandfather. John Rollins was an embarrassment to his family, and he felt rejected from the moment of his birth. And then, John's grandfather, the only semi-parental figure in his family, died. And little John was sent to live with his aunt, uncle, and cousin. John's aunt and uncle didn't want him in their house. They saw him as an embarrassment to the family. At the age of six, John's cousin came to him and told him he was going to take him on an adventure. John was so excited that his older cousin was bringing him along for some fun. 
John was skipping along the street, enjoying the beauty of the day, and he kept asking his cousin what adventure they were going on. But his cousin kept saying, You'll see soon. Then the boy stopped in front of a large building. John stood and looked at the huge doors. His cousin reached up and knocked on the door. Then he turned to leave. John stood in front of the door. Where are you going? I'm going to go and get you some cakes. Then I will come back and bring them to you, okay? Wait, I'll come with you. No, no, no. You wait here by this house. I'll be quick. John stood by the door confused. He watched his cousin walk down the road and then out of sight. Suddenly, the large doors opened and someone grabbed him and pulled him inside. He had been left at a workhouse. John was now a slave. He was forced to work from early in the morning to late at night. He was a prisoner, and his only crime was being born. One of the boys John made friends with was a young boy whose father was an important part of the government. But he had been born out of a relationship this politician had outside of his marriage. He'd been brought to the workhouse to keep people from knowing about him. The two boys were friends, since they had very similar start in life. After two years of working, a lady showed up with two children. She was dropping them off at the workhouse as well. John learned that this woman was his mother. They had not seen each other since she gave him to his grandfather as a baby. His mother did not speak to him or seem happy to see him at all. She simply came and left. Whenever the boys got out of line or didn't work hard enough, they would be beaten. At the age of 11, after working for five years, John watched as his friend we talked about earlier was beaten to death by one of the staff. John continued working and living there for four more years. At the age of 15, one of the staff was beating John once again. But this time, John fought back. He kicked the staff and the man fell to the ground. John knew at that moment that his life needed to change. He wasn't a little boy anymore. He was a young man, and he would be killed if he stayed any longer. John escaped that day, and he traveled to the home of one of his relatives. He knocked on the door. He was met by his aunt, who was happy to see him. She welcomed him into the home. She fed him gave him a place to have a warm bath, and then even gave him clean clothes to wear. John spent the most wonderful day of his life playing with his cousins and being with his aunt. But that night, his uncle came home and was angry. He didn't want to have his family associated with a child who came from a relationship outside of marriage. The next day, John was returned to the workhouse. But the family had been forced to remember that John did exist, and he was no longer a little six-year-old boy. And one of his other cousins felt bad for him. He was a single man and the headmaster of a prestigious school. He went to the workhouse, picked up John, and brought him to his home. Suddenly, John was living in a beautiful home with a man who really did care about him. He had not been properly educated, and his cousin took the time to teach him and catch him up on school. John's favorite room was a large library. Books lined the walls from floor to ceiling. He loved to read, and one of the books he read 
was a book written by a man named Livingston. His book was about exploring Africa. John decided he would be a great explorer, just like Livingston. While Livingston was a Christian who was exploring Africa for the cause of Jesus Christ, spreading the gospel and putting an end to the slave trade, John wanted to be an explorer so that his family would be proud of him. His dream was to be welcomed into his family as someone they were proud of. And he wanted most of all for his mother to embrace him and be his mother. John proved to be very smart. He was an excellent reader and writer. And then, one day, John's life turned once again. His cousin's mother came to visit. John was excited to see his aunt. Hopefully, this family member would love him just like his cousin seemed to. Maybe, then he would start to be accepted by the family. But his aunt was there to tell his cousin it was unacceptable to have John living with him. No proper woman will ever marry you if you have this improper boy in your life. The next day, John felt the tension in the home. It became clear right away that his cousin felt he'd made a big mistake letting John come and live with him. Within a few weeks, his cousin sent him to live with a different family member. John was now living in Liverpool, near the waterfront. He got a job at a butcher shop. One day, a captain of a ship came to him and offered him a job. He could come with him on a great adventure, explore the world, and work with the captain of the ship as his official cabin boy. The job seemed too good to be true. It was exactly what he wanted, to be an explorer and to get a job working with the captain of a ship. This sounded amazing. But once on the water, he realized the truth. The captain gave him the most dangerous jobs. He was forced to do jobs that could have easily killed him. He wasn't fed properly and he wasn't paid. He was now just a slave, like he had been in the workhouse. The ship docked at a place called New Orleans. John jumped off the ship and ran. He was now a free young man, alone in the new world, this new frontier. He was no longer John, the little boy no one wanted. Here, in this new land, he could be anyone he wanted. He met a man named Mr. Speak, who offered him a job. He started working for him and even moved into his home. Mrs. Speak took John as her son, and the couple treated him really well. Life was now finally starting to get better. Mr. and Mrs. Speak were the only people in his life who were ever what a family was supposed to be. But then, Mr. and Mrs. Speak both died, one shortly after the other, and John was alone again. John is now 19 years old, the year 1860. John decided to move to Arkansas, and as he arrives in Arkansas, he creates a new identity for himself. He has decided, John Rollins is dead, the bastard child from England, no more. Now he became Henry M. Stanley, a well-educated young man from a good family. From this point on, we're going to use the name Henry Stanley as we tell his story. As Henry walks through the streets of Arkansas, the atmosphere is hot, not just because it's August, but because there's an election being held soon, and Abraham Lincoln is running for president. The topic of the day, slavery. 
Now, Henry doesn't care about slavery. He could care less if it's legal or illegal. Now remember, before you judge, this is a boy who spent most of his life living as a slave. So to him, it was simply part of life. He was a young man trying to figure out how to navigate the world as a free person. And the events and political topics in this foreign land were confusing to him. But the young men in Arkansas were very hot-tempered. They got into fights often, and duels were not uncommon as a way to settle disputes. So Henry bought himself a gun and learned how to use it. He was a quick learner and soon became a good marksman. The young men in the town were all signing up for the Dixie Grays. Henry saw no point in signing up. He was not going to fight a war defending slavery for a country he wasn't even a part of. But one day, Henry received a package in the mail. It was from a very pretty girl who every boy in town knew about. He excitedly opened the package, only to find a woman's undercoat. And he knew what that meant. She was saying Henry was a girly coward. All the rejection Henry had found over his whole life came flooding back. And Henry, wanting to prove himself, joined the Dixie Grays. He was now fighting in the Civil War for slavery. Now, you may recall from our previous episode, David Livingston's son had been traveling, trying to find his father, and had docked in America and been forced to join the war and fight. So these two boys were about the same age and fought in the same war on opposite sides, but neither was an American. Of all the things Henry would experience in his life, the Civil War was the worst. He watched as young boys he had seen in town so full of life and adventure were gunned down and left to die in fields. Henry was taken as a captive and sent to a prison camp. He was held at Camp Douglas. In the first week that he was there, 220 captives died from diseases. As Henry watched the soldiers stack the bodies, he thought back to his work at the butcher shop. The bodies of these young men were being handled with as little respect as the animals butchered at the shop. One day, a Union Army commander began to talk to Henry. He realized Henry was from England, and he was shocked. Why would a young man from England be fighting for slavery? Slavery had been outlawed in England a long time ago. As he talked to Henry, he realized Henry had no business being in this war, and he convinced Henry to change sides and fight for the Union. Henry agreed to change sides once he recovered from his injuries. Since he was no longer a prisoner, he was taken from Camp Douglas and brought to a military hospital. Once there, he escaped because all he wanted was to get out of America and go back home. He walked as far as he could and then passed out. A farmer found him on the side of the road and brought him to his home. The farmer's family took care of Henry until he was well enough to travel, and then they paid for his trip. And finally, he was going home. At the age of 21, Henry steps foot again on the shores of England. He feels like now he will finally be loved by his family. He is a young man, a war vet, with stories of great adventures in the new land. He'd been to the great frontier. Now, his family will finally love him. His mother has married and has children now from her marriage, and she's quite wealthy. 
She owns a few different businesses. Sadly, one of her babies died just a few weeks before Henry arrived at her door. She meets with Henry, and she's not happy to see him. She has become a woman of distinction, and she can't have an adult son who is of such low means. So she says to him, Leave this home, and do not return, unless you have made something of yourself, and unless you can be someone I'm not ashamed of. Even though Henry's not a little boy anymore, he feels this rejection as if he's just a small child. But instead of walking away from his family, he decides he'll try even harder. He will become someone his mother can be proud of. Henry rejoins the military, this time as a writer. His job is to record everything that happens. And he also sells his story to some local newspapers. He works on a warship. And one of the best things about this job is that the ship had a library. And here he finds another book by David Livingston. Henry, once again, begins to dream of being a great explorer like Livingston. He sees only the fame and adventure of David Livingston and doesn't see the call to preach the gospel or to end the slave trade. Henry becomes friends with a soldier named Lewis. Both boys want to be explorers, and they decide, instead of Africa, let's explore the Middle East. But they'll need to find money to do that. So they come up with a plan. They will desert the military, and then Henry will turn Lewis in and get a reward money. Then he'll help him escape, and they'll do it again, and they'll keep repeating it until they have all the money they need. However, Lewis tells his parents what the plan, and his parents put an end to it. So, Lewis stays in the army, and only Henry deserts. Henry hears of the great gold rush, and heads to Colorado to make his fortune. He works as a bookkeeper, a printer, a scribe, and a writer for the local newspaper, all at the same time. And in his spare time, he hunts for gold. He works all day, every day. During his time in Colorado, he meets another young man named Cook. And the two young men decide they're going to go to the Middle East to be explorers. They will be rich and famous. Finally, they have enough money saved up to leave. And at this point, Lewis has finished his military and decides to join the boys. However, Lewis had no money. So Cook and Henry treat him like a slave, not like their equal. As they begin traveling in the Middle East, Cook and Henry both have horses, but they make Lewis walk. After some time traveling in the Middle East, Lewis becomes extremely annoyed by the situation. And one night, as the boys are sleeping, he decides he's going to play a prank on them. So he lights some bushes on fire, so the boys will wake up and think that they are on fire. It's supposed to be a funny prank. But a gust of wind came and blew the embers from the fire into more bushes. And Lewis accidentally started a very large fire. The fire spread to a nearby village and the whole village was burned to the ground. The villagers come and find all three boys. They capture all three of them and flog them. After this, Cook and Henry are so furious with Lewis that they're ready to just abandon him in the Middle East. But as they're traveling, they come across a group of Turks. The Turks see that Lewis is walking while the other two boys are riding horses. And they ask if they can have Lewis. 
they planned to abuse him in very horrific ways. Cook and Henry try to stop the Turks, but there's too many of them. They take Lewis, have their way with him, and then give him back. It's a very traumatic experience. And after this incident, all three boys just want to go home. Henry returns to England and creates a story of being a great wartime captain. He buys a captain's uniform and arrives at his mother's home. And his mother finally accepts him. She can be proud of a wartime captain, even though the whole thing is a lie. But then, letters begin to arrive at their home for someone named Henry M. Stanley. And when his mother questions, who's this Henry M. Stanley? And why are you receiving his mail? Henry didn't want to tell his mother he had changed his identity and lied about who he was. So he created a story about a man named Mr. Stanley, who had adopted him and changed his name to Henry M. Stanley, but sadly had passed away before the legal documents to officially adopt him had been submitted to the court. Now, some people believe that this may have been a true story. That maybe there really was a man named Mr. Stanley, who had been friends with Mr. Speak and who had wanted to adopt him. Other people think the whole thing was made up, and there are no records of any man named Mr. Stanley living in New Orleans when Henry lived there or who had died during those years. So it probably was made up. In 1866, at the age of 25, Henry gets another great idea. The topic of the town is once again, Mr. Livingston. He'd been missing now for over six years. Where was he? Was he dead? Was he alive? And Henry thought, what if I found him? What if I got a job working for a newspaper and became the reporter that found Mr. Livingston? I'd be famous. So Henry leaves and heads back to America. He gets a job writing for a newspaper, but they send him to follow a man named Hancock, who's on a campaign against the native tribes to move them off the land for the settlers to settle the land. Henry had heard many stories of savages and is excited to tell the story of this brave man fighting these savages. But what he finds are moms and dads and children living in their homes and only fighting to keep their homes. He sees them being treated horribly. And as he writes, tells the stories of the natives, not as savages, but as human beings who deserve to be treated with respect. Human beings who should be allowed to stay on their land. While his job as a reporter is only to report what he sees and not get involved, at one point, he sees Hancock plants on burning down an entire village. And he stops steps in and stops it from happening. This is the first time that Henry begins to see past himself and his own needs to be loved and recognized. For the first time, he sees other people who are hurting and who need him. And he learns that his writings can help them. His stories show the plight of the native families. And even today, some of those writings are used to show the horror of the situation. Henry Stanley soon made a name for himself. People began to know his writings. So he headed to New York, to the newspaper there, to ask for a job. He has one thing he wants to do. He wants to go to Africa and find Livingston. 
the newspaper agrees to hire him and agrees to send him to Africa. But they want him to cover the story of the king of Ethiopia. King Theodore from Ethiopia was a Christian king. And the Muslims of the Ottoman Empire were attacking him. He had asked Queen Victoria for help, but she had refused. In order to try and force the queen to help, the king locked up 20 missionaries. But instead of sending help, Queen Victoria sent in her military to attack King Theodore. At the age of 27, Henry arrives in Africa to cover this story. He sees the huge, massive military that the queen had sent. It is far more than what is needed. Ethiopia has no chance, and England wins easily. King Theodore, in despair, kills himself. It's a tragic story and an unnecessary one. Henry's story is the first one published, and his name becomes even more recognized. And as a side note, the king had left a note before he died, asking for his son to be educated in England. When the queen learns of the king's suicide, she is extremely remorseful and sends the young boy to come and live with her. She raises him as a prince in England, giving him the very best education. It would have been a happy outcome, and the plan was to have a king on the throne in Ethiopia who would have a good relationship with the royal family of England. However, as a young teenager, the prince gets the flu and dies. But that happens later. The story of the battle and the king's death gave Henry two things he wanted, a permanent position at the newspaper and the job that he wanted. He was offered the job to find Livingston. He begins to hear rumors of where Livingston might be. But the land is full of cannibals and warring tribes. What if he's attacked, killed, or eaten? Maybe David Livingston's been eaten. Still, he sets out with a few guides. And as he travels, he hears more stories of Livingston. And after months of traveling, he enters a village where he has heard Mr. Livingston is staying. The man he had read about as a child in his cousin's large library. The man about whom people had been arguing whether he was alive or dead. He was in this village. Someone pointed out his tent and he began to walk towards it, not sure what to expect. He walked in and saw him right there face to face. He reached out his hand. Mr. Livingston, I presume. David Livingston had come to Africa to preach the gospel. He learned that the continent had to be explored and mapped out for two reasons, to make mission work possible and to help the people of Africa trade and stop the slave trade. David was a man of God. Henry Stanley had come to Africa looking for fame and to make something of himself so people would see that he was more than just a child born out of disgrace. And God put these two men together. Henry Stanley would bring encouragement and relief to David Livingston during a time of extreme depression. And David Livingston would bring Jesus Christ into the world of Henry Stanley. And Henry would learn that love, grace, and acceptance could be found only through Jesus Christ. And in our next episode, we're going to tell the story of these two men and their life together. So, in order to make sure that you don't miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe and share some of these episodes with your friends and family. You'll find more videos, blogs, and podcasts on my website, loralaysiemens.com. And I'll see you next time.